Thank you for downloading this episode of our podcast. Hi, and welcome to the podcast for Solomon Staircase Masonic Lodge number 357, where we talk about all things related with Freemasonry, including hermetic teachings, philosophy, reason, spirituality, and much more. We're located in Buena Park, Southern California. Tune in as we continue to update our podcast with informative talks and articles for Masons worldwide and those who would like to inquire within. So this first book review is from the February 2006 Scottish Rite Journal and is by Jim Tresner, 33rd Degree, and is called A Goodlier Room. In the 33rd Degree, Albert Pike, speaking of Masonry in general and the Rite in particular, asks the candidate if he has not lost the key to understanding, that you do not wander with perplexed heart up and down this stately place which contains the treasure of the wisdom of all the ages, but of which every goodlier room is closed against you. I have often felt like one wandering those halls, but now one of those goodlier rooms has opened. Illustrious Arturo de Hoyos, 33rd degree editor, Symbolism of the Blue Degrees of Freemasonry, Albert Pike's Esoterica. For the last 43 years, I have wanted almost desperately to ask questions of Albert Pike, to get his take on questions of symbolism. Now I have had my chance. Pike's voice comes through clearly in the book, but it is not the voice of morals and dogma. It is the quicker, lighter voice he uses in the speeches he gave in celebration of Saints John Day or Cornerstone Levelings. This is a priceless work, and illustrious Brother de Hoyos and the Scottish Rite Research Society have given us a great gift. Many brethren have written or emailed me asking for ideas on how to start reading Pike. I've always given two suggestions. Read out loud, not silently, because Pike's style was a verbal style. And secondly, have a copy of illustrious Dr. Hutchins' Glossary to Morals and Dogma at hand. Now there will be a third suggestion. Read Symbolism of the Blue Degrees of Freemasonry first. So what treasures does this goodlier room contain? After some helpful excerpts and a beautiful introduction, Pike discusses the compasses and the square, the weapons and blows of the assassins, the three grips, the substitute for the master's word, and the 47th problem of Euclid. And then he touches on some additional topics. Truth, the cable toe, cornerstones, the ladder of Jacob, Tubalcane, Shibboleth, and Solomon, and Hiram. But the best way to share this book is to let Pike speak for himself. First, in the introductory, Pike openly sneers at those who think that the ritual gives you everything you need to know to grow and understand. He insists that you must know the history of a symbol, how it was used in the past, and what associations it brought with it into the fraternity. Examples. The three lesser lights are the sun, the moon, and the master of the lodge, represented by the three altar lights. When these lights were three times three in the master's lodge, though, only three in the lodge of apprentices, and two in that of fellow crafts, did the nine by threes still represent the sun, moon, and master of the lodge? And if so, how are the three triads of lights appropriate? Is the sun properly represented by a triad, or the moon, or the master? The explanation given in the lodge explaining nothing, is as the sun rules the day and the moon governs the night, so ought the master to rule and govern his lodge with equal regularity. Does this show how the sun or moon is a light of the lodge? The sun never shines into it, 
The moon can only do so occasionally. Neither of them lights it. The explanation expressed in other words is that the master ought to be a light of his lodge, ruling and governing it with regularity, as the sun and moon are lights not of the lodge, but of the outside world. Does that make them lights of the lodge? No one can have a very exalted opinion of the symbolism of masonry who hears it repeated to a man of thought and a scholar, a wise statesman, a learned judge, or an eminent divine, that from time immemorial there have been represented in every well-governed lodge a point within a circle, that the point represents an individual brother, and the circle the limits of his duty to God and man, beyond which he is never to encroach on any occasion, that this circle is bordered by two parallel and perpendicular lines, emblematical, how, of the two saints John, and that on the vertex rests the Holy Bible. Wherefore, in going around the circle, a mason will not be able to deviate materially from the rules of moral rectitude. Why are the two columns surmounted by a terrestrial and celestial globe? To teach what lesson? To be symbolical of what? How can they be the appropriate furniture of a room representing the middle chamber of King Solomon's temple? When it was not imagined by anyone in the time of Solomon that the earth was a sphere, or that there was under the earth a sky like that above it, the two forming a hollow sphere. It would not be more anachronistic to ornament the hall with pictures of steamships and railway cars and style these emblematical. Ouch, but what happens when Pike sets out to trace the meaning of a symbol? See, for example, the compasses, which are a fit symbol of the heavens, are also a fit symbol of all that is heavenly and spiritual. The square, which is a fit symbol of the earth, is also a fit symbol of all that is earthly and material, in nature and man. In every human being that lives, there are four forces, each always acting, and two of them apparently antagonistic to the other two. Two of these belong to the animal, earthly, material, nature of man, the animal or sensual appetites and the passions. Both of these man has in common with animals, and so far as these rule him, he is but an animal. The other two belong to his intellectual and spiritual nature. One of them is the moral sense, whose conclusions are as absolute and infallible as those of the mathematics, by means of which moral sense, given in a greater or less degree to every man, he knows what is right and what is wrong for him to do. The other is reason, which teaches man what is the wisest and best for him to do for his own good, and this also belongs in a greater or less degree to every man. Pike then illustrates examples of the square and compasses in alchemy and suggests ways in which the meanings of the symbols were transferred forward. This is a great book, and I very highly recommend it. All right, this next round of book reviews is from the September-October 2005 Scottish Rite Journal by Jim Tresner, 33rd Degree. And the title of this section of book reviews is called Jim you got to read this one. So said most worshipful Richard Flesher, past grandmaster, 33rd degree, blue friar, and executive secretary of the Masonic Service Association, when he called to tell me about freedom just around the corner. As I've mentioned before, when he recommends a book, I order it, no questions asked. He was right. This column contains several must-read books. These are really remarkable. Walter A. McDougall, Freedom Just Around the Corner, a New American History, 1585-1828. This is a great book. 
It's written in an easy, flowing style, and it tells the story of America primarily through people, some famous, but many obscure. The author has managed the difficult task of informing us about the great questions and conflicts of the time through the events and actions of ordinary people. I gave it the acid test. I loaned it to a friend who hates reading history and asked him just to read the first chapter. He read straight through the book, loaned it to someone else, so I had to buy another copy. He told me this isn't history, it's interesting. It certainly isn't the history I read in school. So completely focused on events that people never seem to matter. And it isn't history as primarily written for school consumption today. So carefully politically correct that it seems like nothing ever happened. It is the kind of living, vital history that makes you suddenly realize that perhaps the things you do in your everyday life may be important. What makes it especially interesting to us starts on page 333. After writing at some length about Freemasonry, McDougall writes what the Fraternal Order did between 1790 and 1830 was to offer Americans in leadership and those aspiring to it a republicanism above faction, region, and sect, a civil religion enjoining unity and restraint so citizens might get on with the sacred task of completing that pyramid beneath the eye and before the eyes of the world. He returns many times in the text to the role Masonry played in the development of the country. McDougall is a Pulitzer Prize-winning historian and professor of history at the University of Pennsylvania, and he has produced a fascinating, insightful, and pleasurable book. The next book is by Mark A. Tabert, 32nd degree. It's called American Freemasons, Three Centuries of Building Communities. Worshipful Brother Tabert has produced a gem of a book, almost literally, because nearly every page gleams in colors. There are wonderful illustrations here, from Masonic wallpaper made for the home market, to postal cards, to artifacts. Hundreds of illustrations, mostly of articles which were commonplace in the lodges and homes of America, really bring home to you just how central a part Freemasonry was in the daily lives of men and women, even those who were not members of the craft. Starting with a brief history of the fraternity, he shows its importance in the life of large cities and rural communities alike. It was more than just a part of the cultural landscape. Often, it was the landscape itself. Like McDougall's book, it proves that individuals do make a difference, and when those individuals are inspired by a common set of virtues and values, the effect is greatly multiplied. Read the book carefully, then leave it out on the coffee table where your friends can see it. It is a work of art as a publication and a work of glory for the spirit. And the final one in this section is by Robert G. Davis, 33rd Degree Grand Cross, called Understanding Manhood in America, Freemasonry's Enduring Path to the Mature Masculine. I've been waiting a long time to tell you about this book. Illustrious brother Bob Davis and I have been friends for decades, and I've watched this book grow from an idea to a reality, and eagerly read more than one draft along the way. It's good. The book is concerned with rites of passage and what has to happen in the mind of a male in order for him to take his place as an autonomous man, a full, adult, creative, productive member of a society. Archaeological evidence suggests that question has been with us as long as we have been human. In today's world, there are very few rites of passage left. It is not a coincidence, as Joseph Campbell pointed out, that we see a rise in gang activity and membership. Males will seek a rite of passage, positive or negative. Perhaps Freemasonry's most important activity is not in our charities, not in our connections, not in our educational outreach, but in the age-old path we provide by which men may discover what it means to be a man. This is not only a good book to read, it is a good book to lend your friends. 
Highly recommended. This next round of book reviews is from the July-August 2005 Scottish Rite Journal, written by Jim Tresner, and this is called From the Ridiculous to the Sublime. The first book is John Goldsmith, Three Frenchmen and a Goat, The Demoulin Brothers' Story. This is a fascinating little book. It is the history of one of the most important fraternal supply and regalia houses in the 1900s, which is now one of the largest suppliers of band uniforms. And it is the story of the famous goat. Our younger brethren may not know that for many years it was believed by the general population that the Masonic initiation involved riding a goat. There were songs about it, postcards, and many other things you'll find referenced elsewhere in this issue. Yet, it was certainly never an official part of any Blue Lodge initiation, and, so far as most of us can determine, not an unofficial part either. As the author points out, it was indeed a part of the initiation of the modern Woodmen of America, a fraternal and insurance association. The De Malin brothers seem to have been the first to actually manufacture mechanical goats used for initiations. The book has drawings of different models. It's a lot of fun to read and also gives an interesting vision of the fraternal movement in the late 1800s and early 1900s. What with collapsing chairs, slapsticks rigged with gunpowder charges, machines which gave the candidate an electrical shock while swatting him in the seat of the pants, and other such contrivances. It was a very different world from that in which we live today. This book helps recapture a more innocent, if less sophisticated age. To view an original, fully illustrated Damoline catalog from the 1930s, go online to www.phoenixmasonry.org and follow the links. The next book is by Tobias Churton, and it's called Magus, The Invisible Life of Elias Ashmole. I thought I knew who Elias Ashmole was. I knew he was the first speculative mason, the first person we can prove joined a Masonic lodge who had never actually worked with stone. We know that because of an entry in his diary, October 16, 1646, and I knew that he had an interest in natural history and that his collection, given to Oxford University, became the Ashmolean Museum, the first museum open to the public. And then I read this book and discovered that I knew nothing at all about Elias Ashmole. He was a fascinating and complex man, and the book reads like an adventure novel. He is one of the leading intellectual and spiritual lights of the time, an accomplished alchemist, and a close friend of some of the most brilliant men in England. He was a soldier caught in the middle of Cromwell's revolution, a royalist at the time of the parliamentary victory. He was a respected philosopher and author, and he was interested in everything and expert in many things. Churton has given us a compelling picture of his life, the city in which he lived, Litchfield had been a spiritual center of England for centuries, and the guild structure of the time. The author will be familiar to many readers as the founding editor of the magazine Freemasonry Today, which I've recommended several times as an outstanding publication. I can highly recommend this book. And the next book is written by Elias Ashmole, and it's called The Way to Bliss. It is interesting to read a book by a man so significant in the transitional stage of Freemasonry and it gives a good snapshot of the intellectual climate of the time. The book is about the alchemical search for the philosopher's stone, which implies it is a mixture of medicine, alchemy, and philosophy. It is not a physically easy book to read. 
The copy I have is a photocopy reproduction of the original printed edition, which means we are dealing with old type styles with the tall S's which look like an F and all the reft of that sort of thing. But it is an interesting reading. Not for everybody, but for those who are interested in Ashmole and his era, it's a jewel. And the last book is written by J. Kenny, or J. Kenny is the editor, The Inner West, An Introduction to the Hidden Wisdom of the West. I've mentioned before that I greatly enjoy Jay Kinney as a writer. I first became aware of his work as an editor with the first-rate and deeply lamented magazine Gnosis. This book shows his skill both as author and editor. He has a superlative introductory essay, taking us through something of his personal journey. And then there are more than 20 fairly short chapters by some of the most respected thinkers of today, exploring such topics as Christian mysticism, the tarot, an overview of the Kabbalah, and much more. If you have ever wondered where the Western tradition of spirituality came from, or how it expressed itself over time, or why the inner approach to spirituality has been the most rapidly growing religious phenomenon in America, or simply what all the shouting is about, this is a very clear, good, and approachable book. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a comment. We enjoy hearing from our listeners. If you really like what you heard, share this podcast with your friends and lodge members. Visit us online at solomonstaircase.org.